Hello and welcome to When Will It End? It's the movie comedy podcast where a couple of kooks sit down, we watch the movies, we're going to start with the first one in the series, we're going to go to the second. Is it good? Is it bad? I don't know. We found out together. It turns out in this case, in this series, Night at the Museum, it was bad. But now, here we are. We've reached it. The pinnacle uh, of the podcast where we get to the end and we talk about the, the third and final movie in the series, in this case, Night at the Museum, a movie series about Larry Daly. He's a night guard. He's got a son named Nicky. He's always getting into these shenanigans involving nights at museums. We'll get into it. Uh, in this case, uh, a literal night. <laughs> uh, I'm Josh. I'm joined, as always, by my dear friend, Charles. Charles, welcome to the show. Thank you. That was a good joke. The night Look one. At the, I, I brought a prop for this record. Oh, I did, too. Mm, we're both sipping on coffees because, yeah. baby, it's Thanksgiving weekend, just to date this podcast a little bit, and this is the earliest I've woken up Thank you. since Thursday, since, uh, like, yeah, Wednesday, I think. I get up, I'm like an old man now. I get up before eight every day. It sucks. I hate it. Yeah, you should be in a fucking museum, you wax piece of shit. <laughs> that, that sort of reminds me, I was, after watching all of these movies... And then they have a very big conversation this time about special effects. And I realized at the end of the last movie, other than the T-Rex and, I don't know, the big stone, like, all of these were just people. Like, so basically... Well, this this one has a, a, a several extended, very CGI heavy Well, no, bits, I want to... So. I'm, I'm just strictly talking in... I, pretend you're Ricky Gervais, okay? Just get into Ricky Gervais. Uh, <laughs> uh, baby, easy for me. He's... <laughs> He's England's atheist funny man who doesn't take no for an answer and doesn't mind whose feelings he hurts when he's hosting the Grammys or Golden Globes or one of the things. And then I'm Larry. So you're you're Ricky and I'm Larry. Or I'm, I'm Ben, I'm I guess. A, I'm a museum operator. I operate Child, a museum. Child, get away. Don't lick get the, the painting. Get your fingers off of the bloody history. Stop biting you Teddy's st- fingers off, child. You believe in God? That You're stupid. You're stupid. There's no God. What are you believing? Stupid. Do you remember that running bit from the first one where he just like stopped finishing sentences and that was supposed to be like the height of comedy from 2009? I mean, 2009, those, look, <laughs> those were better times. All right. Josh, we don't have time later, for this. Or imagine we, you're Ricky Gervais. Okay. okay yeah. On bloody Ricky, bloody Gervais. Great. Okay. I don't believe in God. So you're the head of the museum and I, as just a lowly night guard, have discovered something called special effects, Ricky. And I would like to revamp the museum to use special effects. Now, just ask me what, what the special effects are. I'd rather not. I'd rather give you carte blanche to do whatever you're doing and never once question it and apparently years of operation. <laughs> so what I'd like to do is, you know, we have all these wax figures. I'm busy. No, I don't want to bleed near it. I'm busy running the museum and wearing a waistcoat. I don't want to ever, at any point, apparently ask about what's going on at night that makes all the shit come to life. Not interested. Would rather not know. Don't but, ask me. But in terms of, so what the big revelation from this one is that Ricky Gervais... Is a dipshit. He, <laughs> that's the big one. Um, but he just thought that there was like more than just humans acting as Teddy Roosevelt. Like That's all they are. They're just wax figures coming to life, meaning like this is what happens when you go to any... like. The what's that village? The, the the village in Massachusetts where you get to like talk to old people from the 1600s. Sturbridge Village. Yeah, it's like those aren't animatronic animatronic. Wait, are those robots? People come to life during the day. It's <laughs> exactly. like a reverse night at the museum. Day at the village. Oh my god, we got your day at the village. Shit, M Night Shyamalan this teams summer. up with Levy. 
to Tom make Tom Hardy is daytime guard <laughs> Jeff Surge. I'm just a guard. I'm just a guard here at the village. But you're telling me there's wax at night? Would that be funny if he turns out at night they turn to wax? So it's like really boring at night. Yeah, that would suck. I mean, it was already boring during the day. But so, okay, so, so I take it back. Uh, Tom Hardy plays the night guard at Surbridge Village, and the big revelation is that at night nothing happens because they're all wax people. That would actually wait be until morning. Sick. Yeah. Can you imagine just Tom Hardy covering up his face with some more nonsense and then just like wandering around Sturbridge Village doing nothing all night? Wow. That'd be good. Yeah. Man, we've discovered so many good alternatives to Night at the Museum. We we did the Ketamine Guard instead Ketamine of the second one. Ketamine Guard would be great. Yeah. yeah. No, just imagine Tom Hardy making a, a 3 a.m. run to Cumbies. You know, some like really gripping Massachusetts shit, you know? And they that, got I that mean, sale on Polar there. You can get two liters uh, for, wait, are you for kidding? $3. We got to stop the record. I got to go. No, Cumbies does frequently have crazy deals on liters of Polar. Because no one, people, no, the two liter bottle, excuse me. Okay. I think with, yeah, those are hard. You know, I know, but I mean, you can get them for pennies on the dollars. I'm trying to say, we'll talk after the record. It's big news. I mean, it's true. You can get an 80 cent two liter or a 119 one liter or like a 60 cent 12 ounce can. I mean, and look, we were all young once. And look, a sexy one liter seltzer, I get it. Okay. We're talking seasonal flavors here. We're talking sugar plum fairy for Christmas or something. Right. But a good old-fashioned two-liter lime? Come on. You're going to pound that thing. And I think we we talked briefly a few episodes ago about Power Trash and, like, that whole aesthetic. I feel like the two-liter polar is the real-world equivalent of, like, painting and, and, like, making art in MS Paint. Wow. Like, you carrying, like, wearing a fanny pack, carrying around a two-liter of polar, wearing shorts That's, that's me. You're describing parka. me. Oh, well, <laughs> the parka might be... You know, it's funny. Gosh. It's funny you said power trash because if I had seen Hillbilly Elegy before recording our last episode, it would have colored poor Amy Adams in a whole new light. <laughs> she, can she about, still do no wrong? Can she still do no wrong? The defining power trash of 2020 is uh, Hillbilly Elegy. One We're going to do an episode worst on movies it. I've ever seen. If you are listening, I really genuinely go see Hillbilly Elegy. It's it on Netflix, will, right? It's on Netflix. It it is the worst thing Amy Adams has ever done, and I love Amy Adams. And she's very, 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 very miscast in this. Uh, I don't know who would you have cast. We're gonna talk. We can't talk about. Hillbilly. I would have cast no, Tom Hardy, but we'll talk about it on the episode. Yeah, I love I love pills. I don't get it. I haven't seen That's it. That's Tom Hardy. Well, she in the movie she loves pills. You could probably tell from the. Trailer. Oh, I thought you said peels. I thought she was like making yeah, peels. a like a fruit. They're from. They're from like, Kentucky. Or hill people. Oh, they're the hill people. They're the hill people. Uh, It's a great movie. At one point, uh, the main character suggests that redneck is the N-word for white people. It's sick. Good movie. Josh, we cannot talk about it. We have to talk about it. We can't talk about it because we're talking about a different kind of white people, wax people. Now, when Rebel Wilson eventually mounts uh, wax caveman law... Played by Ben Stiller in heavy oh. makeup. Do you think what what is her end game with that? Does she? I mean, is she engaging with Law? I don't know. It seems like they have an emotional bond, but also just like a simple that that kind of chemistry that only a wax figure can have with a lonely night guard, what as we've you, seen from other installations in the series. What is she expecting out of this relationship? Because famously, Larry is like, "Look, Amelia Earhart, you fucking you you're one. Stop giving it away. You're wax. This is never going to happen." Um, 
do you think she that Revel Wilson's night guard has as much of a nuanced understanding of that dynamic, or is she just trying to grind one out on Wax, Ben Stiller, Caveman? I think I don't think she actually even wants to grind one out. I think she she has her sexual boyfriend. She talks about him a little bit during the movie. It doesn't seem like her life is flourishing, though. Right, but I, I don't think it's a sexual problem. I think she has. I think she's having some good some good fuck time with her boy. You think she's getting it pretty good in the universe tonight at the museum. You think Rebel Wilson's character is sexually sated even without her liaisons with the with with Law. So I mean what you see is she meets the the real Law, the Larry. We'll call him Larry because that's his name. She meets Larry and she like she just talks his ear off. She obviously it's I think it's purely a physical thing with her boyfriend who never gets named. I mean, that's another sign. He, he's basically an object, uh, a, a penis with a flesh body on top of it that she can, you know, send to bed, go do some errands. I don't know. They probably don't ever speak. But when she stares deeply into the eyes of Law, the the fish-faced Ben Stiller with dreads, uh, there's something there that she's never really gotten before. Do you ever think about what would happen if you were a caveman, what that would be like? I would probably they'd probably bash your skull in pretty early on. Oh me, I'm I'm like I this is I'm sort of I'm lucky to live in the 21st century even though it's really bad. Like I would be dead at age 30 if I lived in any other century including the 20th century. Yeah, they'd send you right to Nam. Yeah. They'd put an M16 in your hands, some heroin, ship right off to Da Nang. Get over there, man. Wow. Well, so much to talk about. Night at the Museum 3, it's really great when you watch a trilogy that climaxes in a middling watchable comedy that feels like a triumph after two, <laughs> like, weirdly weirdly unsuccessful. Look, I can't get over this whole trilogy because the basic premise is such a slam dunk. One is kind of like whatever. Two is just completely does not work. And then they finally, like, connect all the dots, and it got, got three stars from me on Letterboxd. I'm like, this was... A yes. completely acceptable. This was fine. Well done. You made a fine 97-minute-long movie that was consistently funny, quick, and completely forgettable, and that was the pinnacle of this trilogy. Right. I was so I watched this a week ago because I wasn't quite sure when we we are on we're on a pretty good recording schedule at this point. I think we're doing great work, but because of Thanksgiving, my schedule changed. I don't know. We got I got I just wanted to prep for it. So I watched it a week ago Sunday. That's today. I watched it a week ago today. I've forgotten everything. I took a lot of notes. I'm reading them like, whoa, Ben Kingsley was in this? And it's just like, it's all gone from my mind. But oh, my God. When I, I remember immediately after watching, it's like this, A, do they intentionally make bad movies to begin with to culminate to a point where you're just ready to... Like, I feel like we've had this happen before with like Harold and Kumar, uh the last series we just watched, which I've already forgotten, like where you have to sit through a lot of boring shit and then suddenly you watch a very pretty shitty movie that's fine and you're like, holy shit, this is amazing. I love this movie. And I'm like, that's the franchise effect where you can sit through so much just shit and if you endure it, you'll get to a point where you're, you love mediocre nonsense. Well, I think it's more about fundamentals where it's like when you can't just even piece together the basics of 
I understand what the goal is here. I understand what the stakes are here. Hey, what a fun new twist on a formula. Like all these basic things that you should be able to nail. And it, it, just, it does certainly, in contrast to absolutely ludicrous series like Fast and the Furious, it really underscores how successful those are. Right. Because they take massive stylistic shifts and do it like really successfully. And this took three passes at one basic idea to get to, yes, this is – it is fun that they're in the London Museum or whatever. Uh, each little step they take through ha- is f- a different challenge, and there's a fun twist with with a mean old Lancelot, and mm. like just they, they hit the basics very simply. And the, the 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 second one was so fucking like an amoeba where they're just like we're in DC in a massive basement, and like it, like none of that felt interesting, or, or there were no stakes there. And the first one feels again weirdly like the least. Very underbaked, where it just feels like the basic premise doesn't really live up to what on paper seems really fun. So I don't know. I, I guess it's, you know, in, in one of the least exciting series we've ever done. It's nice that at least they got to, like, a formula that actually hits on all the levels it's supposed to. I thought the fighting of the the big snake, metal snake guy was very cool. That was a good sequence. Yeah, I think. So what this movie, this actually, the reason why this is not just, like, I think this is why it gets to a three-star movie is that it actually did what we've been complaining about all along where the first one, we didn't really even understand what the stakes were because they didn't exist. And the second one so retracted like what the point of the first one was, which was about a guy that was confused and wanted to love his son, but didn't really have the means to. So he understands that he needs to like enter into sort of he needs to do both childish things but also just accept that he needs to do something to just like be with his son and then the second one's like you just need to live in the fucking museum it doesn't matter what your son's doing it doesn't matter what your life is about you need to be friends with a little cowboy and it sucked and this one at least like not only returns to the message of the first one but does such a better job of talking about his relationship with his son talking about his relationship with the little cowboy like all of it comes to again like this is another version of the franchise effect where two shitty movies can culminate in a scene where he kisses a monkey and i'm like not crying but like this is fucking awesome Jacking so like, off. yeah <laughs> he makes out with a monkey so the slapping no, no the, the weirdly emotional ending was like kind of got me i was like whoa this they're, like they're really sunsetting this like unambiguously they're like and now the night guard may stay down his watch or whatever. And you know when, when robin murdered himself out of sadness and loneliness or whatever and everyone like oh, was God. sharing that sharing that meme about like well the genie is free yeah you know what they should have done was uh teddy roosevelt Teddy's, is wax again is wax again teddy is oh, wax wow. again <laughs> That, That's beautiful. Damn. Teddy's wax that, again. What, what a beautiful way to eulogize Robin Williams than pointing out his three-movie arc on the museum, many, which many say is the most beloved work Wait, he did hold on. We post a, as we, America's funny man. A picture of, of Teddy, uh, Robin is Teddy with his sword pointing towards the heavens, mm. and it says, ready to be wax again. Teddy is, Teddy is ready. Teddy is ready. That's but pretty good. But chronologically, that's before he's dead. Well, well, no, but wait, what? You mean in real life? Because in... if he's ready to be waxed, it means like he's ready to die. Because he is waxed is what we're Oh, I see what you're saying. So, yeah, I guess so. we'll stick with the original and then just Teddy is waxed You know again. what? Look, th- we're talking about franchise logic, Facebook. okay? You had post... one good idea. You want you tried to retool it. Didn't really land. We're we back. went back to the original formula and it's good again. Yeah, so I'm going to post this on Facebook, uh, maybe on the yeah, anniversary of Robin Williams' suicide. Listeners, please eulogize Robin the way he would have wanted to and say Teddy is wax again. 
uh, make Teddy wax again. Eh, I don't know. I'm working. Good hat. Don't. I mean, it's. it's <laughs> I'm thinking red. Yeah. Bright oh, red. We can, see, we can laugh now, but honestly, I miss him so much. It fucking hurts. August 11th. All right, be ready. Um, August 11th, 2021, we'll see the the first... I'm going to schedule the post right now on Facebook. Yes, not, something like eight and a half months after this episode. Everyone, Just mark be your ready. calendars. Just, <laughs> it's the suicide date of Robin, and Jesus we're going to get Christ. a new meme. Seven years later, <sighs> new meme time. Okay, I want to talk about Skylar Gazondo, who plays Nikki in this movie. A breath of fresh air to the franchise. <sighs> I love this guy. He's in all kinds of stuff that I like. He's in Walk Hard. He's in uh, uh, Booksmart. He's in Vacation, which was weirdly good. Yeah. I did not see the Three Stooges movie, though maybe we should watch Oof. that for bonus. Cause <laughs> it does. It is still incomprehensible to me that that exists. Um, he's also in a million shows. He was in Wild American Summer 10 years later, uh, The Righteous Gemstones, Curb Your Enthusiasm. He's got one of those faces, and he's Jewish, I think. So I like him. Yeah. No, he's, he's really great. I actually... He's, he is one of those people that you like you I love that kind of actor where you know you go to the movies and you sit sort of near an old couple I talked about this one where I saw the Hitchcock movie at the Amherst Cinema remember that dumb movie Hitchcock or whatever it's called Alfred oh I didn't see that it looked terrible it was shit but like the biggest thing was like people like oh look it's that actor playing that actor they got to double up you know when you're like oh, I love that guy. And you get to point to your friend and nudge him and be like, hey, look, it's like a cameo by my favorite actor. I love this actor because I'm like, oh, I love this guy, but I have no fucking idea who he is. And I just get to enjoy his presence as a person acting as Nikki. Well, I will say, given that his name is Skylar Gazondo, which I just realized today, I'm not going to forget that. That's a fucking amazing name. <laughs> That's not real. Skylar Gazondo. His parents, Stacy and Ron, are ocean engineers. That's interesting. I guess. Yeah. Cool. Hold on. You don't think it's interesting that they were ocean engineers? I'm not really sure what that means, but it sounds like that they're engineering the ocean. I, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm too confused by the whole premise of it to really think it's interesting. It's just it's taking over my mind. I just throw it away because I'm just imagining yeah. people constructing oceans now, and then they just get Skylar to be in Night at the Museum three. Like, why isn't he out there helping? Why isn't well, look, he? If, if the if the Jews can propagate the the globe theory. They can also create oceans, is all I'm trying to say. That's, uh, I don't know. Skylar, I'm glad you escaped. Your parents sound like terrible people. Yeah. They're, yeah, Stacey and Ron, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> <laughs> um, Hold on, he was homeschooled by Stacey and Ron. I retract my go fuck yourself. Stacey and Ron, you raised a, a wonderful boy. I'm very jealous that he was in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Isn't that everyone's dream? Right. That's, yeah. To, to do a bit of like one scene in Curb. Yeah, that'd be so nice. Who did, he, who did he play in that again? He did really good. I, rem- I remember him. He, he's in The Ugly Section, which is a, a very good episode. I think that that's is a very a, good one. A delightful episode. Man, that season was <laughs> fucking great. It was. The Larry, the Larry David show is one of the few shows that has it just gets better and better. And it's just like it's there's no stopping it except for Larry David just taking a break. Which is awesome. I think why all shows should be made like Curb, yes. just at the at the leisure of their creator. I also just like that you know he's got some stuff cooked up. So every season he's like, oh, I've got some stuff I'm gonna we're gonna get into, and here here it goes. But speaking of Skyler, Skyler Gazondo replaced the very differently named but also strangely alluring Jake Cherry. Man, so we've sort of missed that the last two episodes where uh, his son Nick Daly was played by Jake Cherry. 
Um, I liked him in the first one. I think, again, it's sort of the... Just the second one sucked so hard that he really didn't have much to do. But I liked when he was like, I'm going to be just like uh, Rudd when I grow up and I have two belts and one for my phone and I have backup plans and I don't want to be a hockey player anymore. He was pretty cool. But I think Skyler is the ultimate version of the Nick Daly to the Larry uh, Daly. Yeah, I guess he would have to say. Well, the name. thing is, in two, n- n- the kid is relegated to the guy at the desk role, which is part of why two is so shitty. It's like, Dad, take the third air duct down to the fourth sub basement, or yeah, like shit like that, which fucking sucks. I, I thought that maybe we talked last episode how he, like he loses his phone in the painting and we're like, or the picture, and was like, oh, was that really just for a bit? And I think what it actually was, they probably had extended scenes of. Uh, Jake Cherry being the guy in the chair and like everyone was like who the fuck is this kid he sucks why is he looking at a Microsoft map of the Smithsonian and I'm sure they just like ended up cutting most of his scenes and were like well why wouldn't he be talking to his son on the phone oh I know let's throw it into the picture so we can birth the greatest character ever live Joey Motorola and we all remember the day we met Joey Motorola, played by the great Jay Baruchel. And He's good. In Two's weird effort to capture some of that Judd Apatow heat that it failed at so dramatically. Um, here's a cute to- little side note about – I don't want to. Here's a cute little side note about Skylar Gazondo. While filming Night at the Museum, colon, Secret of the Tomb, in Vancouver during his junior year, Gazondo asked Ben Stiller and Robin Williams to help him film a promposal, formally asking his girlfriend to senior prom. They filmed a three-minute comedy routine with Crystal the Monkey. Yes, he got Dexter in his fucking promposal. Skylar, your pussy game is off the charts, son. Wow. wow. Do, is that a bonus feature on the on the DVD? I don't know. We gotta find it. We'll we find gotta it. We gotta find it. Hold on. He played the role of B Dog in a se- maybe this is a series we do. In Air Buddies, oh, Snow shit. Buddies, Space Buddies, Santa Buddies, Spooky Buddies, <laughs> Treasure Buddies. Josh, Dear I. Dear God. He's played B Dog for what seems like a dog's age. That must be where he's gotten all of his money. That, that's where the real money is. I, I forget which episode we, we were talking about it on The Real Deal with Josh and Charles, where I'm like, I pretended to have a doctorate in the air buddies franchise because i watched all of them while babysitting i mean that sounds like a josh and charles era bit for sure yeah i'm strangely familiar with the air bud series and not quite as but uh, sort of i know some things about the air buddies so i would i would definitely throw that into the 2021 calendar i mean we have identified we we've hit the rich vein of skylar gazondo's electric charm yeah, so I do kind of want to mine it for all that it's worth. Okay, so sort of in the same way that we want to just get to the tad of it all, we should really just figure out what's Glissandoing. We want to. Is there a Glissando joke in here somewhere? I'm not really sure no. what that is. I know it's a Glissando. It's a it's a music term. I know, but so a Glissando is a, a so Skylar Glissando. I'm not really sure if that's a glide from one pitch to another. I just got louder. Yeah, you really just changed your, uh, your yeah. loudness there. Whatever that's called. Yeah, the There's loudness only, factor. Yeah. Um, Larioso. He's also in both of the Amazing Spider-Man. Oh yeah, that's another reason why I recognize. He's just recognizable, but you sort of—he's got one of those faces. He's lovely. But I got big news. He's he's in a forthcoming film called The Starling. Listen to this cast: Melissa McCarthy, Chris O'Dowd, Kevin Kline, Timothy Oliphant, David Diggs. Skylar Gazondo. Yeah, wow. It was okay until you got to Skylar, and then it just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. That's also, the good. great Rosalind Chow from uh, from Star Trek. We cool. love you, Rosalind. 
uh, well, while we're speaking of Skyler, mm. uh, his relation, like they actually spent time building up their relationship together and they talk about college, they talk about DJing, they talk about museums. Like there's actual moments where it's not, doesn't even feel, I guess maybe the scene in London feels a little bit just like inserted into the movie, but it's okay. It's a fucking Night at the Museum movie. Any conversation where he's like, I don't know. So let's talk about the opening. Larry's fucking, he's, he is, as I've said before, the king of flash, the god of flashlights and the king of special effects. He has taken the shittiest museum in New York and turned it into a, a fucking pleasure playhouse after night. Also, well, people fucking hate the Museum of Natural History. It's a dog shit house full of garbage. It's always on the verge of collapse because no one fucking likes it. Terrible. We learn. I guess. Do you think the filmmakers are unfamiliar with New York winters where it gets dark at four o'clock? Like what is the museum stays open after dark in the winter? And yet this whole I guess this movie sort of made me realize that the crumbling narrative of the after dark magic. Again, it's like in the third one where they're second one where they're just like at nine o'clock at night flying a plane over the Washington DC mall as though no one exists at dark. But okay, well, this, this plays into like issues as a Jew, big big questions in my life because Shabbat on Fridays and and many evenings in Jewish ritual, like in, in the winter months, obviously when these traditions were put together, they were in the motherfucking cradle of civilization, you know? So is, is Shabbat at 420 uh, in November, baby. Yes. smoking that <laughs> weed. Better be at four twenty. Love that drug. Smoke some drugs. It's Shabbat. So you know, it's a similar question where it's like, what are the rules of the tablet? Because again, look, we finally figure out the friggin' secret of the tomb in this. Because oh. the first two movies were like, look, I'm enjoying these movies. One paramount question exists: What is the friggin' secret of the gosh dang tomb? And we didn't know. We had very little idea. We didn't even know one, to know. We were we didn't even know there was a secret. In in the second one, uh there's some very vague but seemingly very dangerous things ascribed to the tablet, which is again tomb related, it's tomb adjacent. But we don't know about the friggin' tomb. But so we we learn a lot about tomb law on this, though it does not really answer that broader question of when is nightfall being judged? Is it being judged based on life in Egypt or is it being judged in uh, the East Coast of the United States? Because right. those are profoundly different night times. And we also, from the first one, I don't know about you, but like there's a moment where I got the idea that it was like a midnight thing because he's at the museum in the first one, just sort of bumbling around after dark, and then suddenly things come to life. It's not like a strict sundown situation. It was a very strict sun-up situation when that poor caveman turned to vapors. But it's never we've never quite had the we've never seen the life coming really lock into nightfall and i think that's a big they should have figured that out and i think if they're going to have all these rules about moonlight or whatever they should really figure out how this whole thing starts so i know when i go to the museum like i'm obviously this is not real this is a fiction but the whole point of a fiction is to enter it in the same way that they enter into these paintings and all this stuff i want to know like I getting my ticket. I'm getting my ticket for sundown. Oh, I have to get my midnight ticket. I just want to know what ticket to get, Josh. Well, there probably isn't a midnight ticket, but I like that these movies suggest that if you just hide in any museum and smoke yeah. ketamine, when you're alone in that museum at night, you have no idea what's going to happen. You got no clue. Dude, but it's 420 I, I, I all day. Look, 
Director Sean Levy, who directed all three of these movies, is this a first for the podcast, a series that's been actually helmed by one director for the entire wow. run? I don't know. The, the the Scorch Trials, I think. Really? I think so. Look it up. I got my loud keyboard today, so I'm trying to avoid typing. So that would Yeah, be you got the extra clacky. You were like, yeah. clack it up. I tried c- connecting my non-clacker, and it just didn't work. And then you called, and I just, you know, I'm going full clack. Got my brown cherries or whatever hold on you're right the great Wes ball directed all three major how did we forget about Wes baller damn i wish it was a little bit taller i wish it was Wes baller i gotta Um, say guys um gals everyone listening right now if you haven't a seen the maze runner series fucking do it you fucking losers and b it's just like what we've learned from this series inadvertently is that you have to work out a formula for an entire – it's quite difficult to figure out a formula for a whole franchise. Most of these things we do are people trying and failing to hit one central idea. And like the one time we saw something that was successful across three movies, it was an adaptation of the most generic teen dystopian fad novels ever. And it's still perplexing to me that that is the, still, I think, the – the structural pinnacle of this entire podcast is the Maze Runner movies. It's a there, little weird. There's a, there's a new movie with Maze Runner Boy in it. So I think we might have to do that for a, a little bonus. It's another like action movie. I haven't seen him in a while. Maybe he's just been running. Um, it's a Labyrinth Jogger. But uh, I, I think... I get B. You should re-listen to if you never if you're if you're sort of new into the show, go back and listen to our coverage of the the Maze Runner series. It's it's worth doing. Uh, we're good at it, and no one's talking about this series. And it still remains to be maybe the best franchise ever made. Uh, we're still trudging along with this show, trying to find a better one. But up until now, Fast and the Furious don't got it. You know, there's some lulls there. West it Baller, makes me think. It makes me think much like. Uh... Much like friggin' uh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Jack Nicholson. Yeah. What if? What if this is as good as it gets? <laughs> I was thinking yeah. earlier about that guy Helen from uh, or something. When we were talking about the first night at the museum, who's there's that quote from that movie? Maybe you can help me out. Where he says, "How do you fuck that up?" Is it Jeff Daniels from History of Violence? Is Jeff Daniels in History of Violence? He's the, who's the guy at the end? Is it Jeff Bridges or Jeff Daniels? I don't know why I, I get the Jeff confused. I think it's William Hurt. I think it's William. Oh, Hurt. it's the Hurt. That's right. It's the Hurt. He says, "How do you fuck that up?" And that's like, "How do you fuck?" But what if Jack said it? <laughs> How do you fuck that up? Wait, wait, wait. What if uh, what if Michael Caine said it? What if this is Night at the Museum? How, how do you Secret of the Tomb? Fuck that up. How do, I'm Michael Caine. How do I'm you fuck that How up? How do you fuck that up? Okay, so I took a, I accepted a friend request on my work Facebook from a uh, a Mormon missionary. Oh, and cool. I, I, was, I was like set a clock for when I would get some message from the Mormon missionary. It's come through. I got it. This is why you don't you don't let Christians into your life at all. It was inevitable. How was your Thanksgiving? You wanna you wanna like Joseph Smith with me? Joseph Smith's is the guy. Wait, can you read it, or is that a, a breach of trust? First off, look, dude, you're a full time missionary. Here's your opening gambit. Hey, Josh, comma, how was your Thanksgiving? Period. No exclamation point? I feel like that's pretty no much mandatory. Mark, not capitalizing the word Thanksgiving. Oh, Look, I get, fuck. Be, being a missionary is like being the horniest guy at a bar where you just hit on everybody. You're like, yeah. someone, someone's going to fucking, I'm going to get a number from someone. 
I just got to keep relentlessly putting myself out there. But you're doing it for like some old scam artist from upstate New York or whatever. For, for, Wait, for is that Vermont. where God lives? Oh, oh I get it. That's where I Joe Smith. It. I think Joseph Smith is from Vermont, which, you yeah. know, he's probably smoking weed, listening to jam band music. Oh, that's all you do in Vermont. One of my, uh, my roommates. Sharon, we're, Vermont. Yes. We're going down to a, a four person household here in Medford where uh, Delia is moving to Vermont. Good for her. Yeah, I think that's a good move for her. She uh, has been. I don't know she's working at a coffee shop here, and it was. I'm, I'm not going to say which one because they're sort of like pretending to not be corporate, but then when you actually work there, you learn that they're just like Whole Foods situation. So uh, she just walked out, which I think is a very West Baller move, and she got fired, but she just fucking left. Good for it was, her. It's great. Yeah. Hey, so Joseph Smith was 24 when he thought of Mormonism. Imagine committing to something that a 24 year old thought of. <laughs> I was thinking what I was doing at 24. <laughs> Yeah, no thanks. I, if, I if you were like, hey, my friend Josh is 24, he thought of a religion, I'd be like, mm, I wouldn't trust that guy. I was hanging out with, with Watson, a sexual predator who was really into the flat earth when I was 24. Can you imagine if I just like stuck to that? Actually, I that... showed Allison. Allison had, my beautiful wife Allison had not seen the All Gas No Breaks Flat Earth episode. And I got to do, which is now like, it's fun. I get, to, it's exciting for me to show people a video of <laughs> Watson talking passionately about the Jews uh, controlling the world and creating the flat earth. He texted me. When? Uh, a week ago. Charles uh, let a monster man tattoo, and the tattoos are great. I'm not besmirching Watson's tattooing ability or your choices to – your body is – it's a temple. Things, it's mm. like a goddamn museum, honestly. Yeah. Oh, Josh, when, when, when I go to bed at night, I what can hardly sleep sometimes because those pieces of art just come to life. What? Is, how about new series, Night at Charles's Skin? It's good. I'm Tom Hardy. I'm a security guard for Charles's Skin, but at night – Go to bed, buddy. A Silver Mount Zion lyrics yell at me. No, it's more like a, a soft, gentle boy speaking at you, but pr- passionately, passionately. Who's to say? Anyways, yes, <laughs> Watson. Yeah, so he he texted me and he just said, "Hey, it's Watson." That's it. Yeah, and I that I, was I, a, I, a a Mormon missionary guy level bad <laughs> opening was, gambit. I thought maybe it was like spam because like who would do that? Like, what do, can you imagine? Uh, being Watson, being very crazy and uh, dangerous, running to the south with guns and a van full of guns, years pass, and you text someone that you had a moderately fake relationship with and say, hey, it's Watson. <laughs> uh, fans of Flat Earth Theory will recognize him. he's highly a prominent I mean, he, there's that Vice article. I think he's like the first yeah. person they interview. Yeah. Again, that all gas no breaks video is like four million views or something. It's uh, my personal celebrity friend Watson, <laughs> who thinks that me and my bloodkin uh, constructed the globe Earth theory. <laughs> Fuck. Yeah, uh, it could be the Rothschilds. Um, think I should text him back. No. Yeah. <laughs> no, thanks. I don't think that's so. the, that's I the don't decision think so. I came to. Can you pass along Watson's information to a Mormon missionary? Oh, my God. They would have so much Hello, fun Hello, Watson. Together. How was your Josh, Thanksgiving? shut the fuck up and listen. A new sitcom called Watson and the Mormon Missionary. And they have to... It would be like the odd couple where they live together. And oh, boy, they get into it. Actually, they'd probably be fine. So uh, the I'm, gonna, I'm not going to reveal the missionary's last name, but his first name is Talon. That is not a name. 
Well, certainly as a Jew, when you when you meet a Christian named Talon, it, it doesn't. Run. That's not a good vibe. I'm I'm imagining he's going to rip through my guts or something. So, Josh, you're but instead of running or ignoring, you friended him on Facebook. He has a family photo of all of his Mormon family. That is like one of those vaguely 3D photos, but it's like literally 30 white people wearing white garments, sort of undulating back and forth. (laughs) It's very eerie. Oh, I don't like it at all. This sucks. Uh, Yeah, it's scary. What if it was night at the Mormon Museum and they just talked to you about uh, friggin' undergarments and such? Uh, Wow. I I think people shouldn't message me is the takeaway here. Yeah, anyone listening, especially if Don't you're a Mormon me. or named Talon. Hold on. No, this isn't discriminatory per se. Christians, maybe, yeah. N- not just Mormon. If you're Christian, just think about it hard, okay? Yeah. Are you triggering me? Do you want to slide in there? Do you want to add? I don't know the lingo, man. So, so let's so... talk a little bit, Night at the Museum, uh, Colin, tomb secrets. We've so, we done learned them. We learned the secrets of the tomb, baby. Well, I remember last episode we were scared that Egypt has been such a huge part of this. The first one, we're like, we sort of liked it because it was like, oh, the creepy mummy. Is that going to be the bad guy? And it turns out to be fucking Rami who rules and he's just a chiller. And the second one, unlearning everything, made Hank into a bad guy that was very boring and fucking sucked. So we were like, oh, God, we don't want more tomb shit. We don't want more tomb shit. But I think this actually worked. The, the secret of the tomb was a nice, it was about love it was about understanding it was about passing the torch it was about respecting your your family it was about all these things that it wasn't silly it wasn't annoying it actually just was like a very simple device to get people moving right and it explains we find out that uh amun ra has a hot mom which explains a lot of his you know his vibe yeah and he's got a i don't know i still don't know what to think about ben kingsley like is he isn't that funny about- like you get to a certain age and you're like wait is ben kingsley just bad <laughs> is this like a bad thing i will say it's very funny we uh recently me and my beautiful wife allison rewatched season two of american crime story the exquisite assassination of gianni versace an amazing amazing like talk about power good. trash it's amazing i've watched it like three times in that movie uh in that series rather excuse me uh, three Spanish actors play Italians, which is just delightful. Amazing. And in this, uh, Anjali Jay and Ben Kingsley are of Indian descent playing Egyptians. So take that for what you will. <laughs> yeah, he's he really has milked the, like, especially because he, he, he grew up as a, well, not grew up, but like became famous in an era where if you're vaguely not white, you could really just do whatever the fuck you wanted. So like he's played in the same way that Hank can turn his voice into anything he wants to really awful results, Ben Kingsley has just been like, oh, I'm uh, British, but a little bit different. So well, in, in, in 2007, Ben Kingsley played a Polish-American mobster in the mafia comedy You Kill Me. Now, does that marginalize the Polish experience? Who's to say? If you're Polish, please say. Yeah, or not. You don't, think, you don't even think they would know or care? Oh, he was an Ender's Game. I, you know, for a book that I read like 19 times in middle school, I've never seen. There's no way it's good, right? I didn't. I no. It's it probably it doesn't have Tommy Lee Jones in it. Wait, does it have Tommy Lee Jones in no, it? No, it's it's, it's uh, Harrison Ford. It's Harrison That's Ford, right. Viola Davis, Ben I'm, Kingsley, the I'm great Abigail Breslin. Yeah, you're doing bad. I'm I'm mixing up a Hurt for a Jeff. I'm mixing up a, a Jones for a Ford. Oh, hey, Fuck. me and Allie did a pancake trilogy over the weekend last what, weekend. What's that mean? Um, first we watched, uh, Inherent Vice. Oh. And Allison finally understands why I frequently yell Moto Pancake. 
Yeah. Um, and then we watched uh, it, it, The Sunlit Night, which is a Jenny Slate, uh, Zach Galifianakis, in, quirky indie comedy that was kind of not that good, but had a pancake scene. And then I was like, oh, my God, Allison, we've stumbled into the rare pancake thread. This has never, has never happened to me where we watched two pancake movies in a row. And then I was like, Allison, pick a third pancake movie. So, baby, we rewatched The Big Lebowski because Amy Mann orders a pancake in the diner along with Flea and the great Peter Stormare. You know what? I, I, I stumbled into your pancake thread because last night I watched Cajillionaire, the new Miranda July movie, and there is a pretty little pancake scene in that too. So, you know, if you want to continue, I highly recommend it. It's more Miranda July shit. And if you want to gobble that up, if you missed it since her movie, like when did the future come out? Like 10 years ago? That, crazy? I've only seen uh, the John Hawks one. The, what, Me what and we, you and everyone we know. Yeah. And, and that's, I think, of a good movie that I liked watching. And I don't, it's a little weird to think that this elevated Miranda July to this level of acclaim that I find, it's just such an LA, like a cerebral LA thing that like, I, I don't find it that, I'm really more of a wet, miserable New England guy at heart. It's true. Yeah. You, I think you wouldn't really dig Kajillionaire just for that one reason. I think it would be hard for you to get into like, why is it sunny all the time? Why do the streets look so dry and, and unwashed, but still dry? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's very LA. But it's some cool bubble shit. I mean, I I I liked it. And it, it's got some great performances. Um, what's his name? Who is the guy in Eat, Pray, Love? Uh, the great Richard Jenkins. Yeah, Richard Jenkins is in it. Uh, thankfully, not doing a Texan accent. Is he playing a sensitive gay artist? No, he's playing a scruffy father to someone who, for the entire her entire life, he's treated his daughter like one of his grifters. So it's this like grifter family, and their daughter has just always been one of their just like pawns in the game of trying to steal ten bucks from the mail or whatever. Um, so he plays that very well. We could do a grifter series, do uh, shoplifters, parasite, and gajillionaires, or whatever it's called. Yeah, I yeah. I, I, see, Richard Jenkins has a Miranda July face. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. You look he, at him, you're like, yeah, that's such a Miranda July casting so decision. I think he he cannot have that face. Like, what was that drum movie that he was in? Uh, surely you speak of drum colon secret of the tomb. Is that movie where he like learns how to be a better human by drumming or something? He learns how yeah. to drum by a. I don't. I never it's saw whiplash it. Whiplash two, two whip, two lash. The visitor. It was. I think it's the visitor. And like he's very un Miranda in that movie. But I like that Miranda sees him and be like, oh, I can fucking, I can pull the Miranda head out of this Jenkins guy. I can take this sad jello of his face and mold it into a beautiful, beautiful aspic. Yeah. So uh, the pancake. Isn't it funny that aspic sounds like aspic? Right. I don't know who I, I was talking about this at work for some reason. Or maybe it was a house, but my grandfather, this is like a, this is like a story that I will tell if I have children, I will tell this to my children. They will tell it to theirs. My grandfather had his like boss and his boss's wife over for dinner in the sixties. And he asked his boss, he was going to go get the ass pick. And he said, would you like ass pick or perhaps a toothpick? And like, that's, that's like gone. That's been passed down to me as a hilarious moment of shame for my grandfather. Wait, I'm, I don't understand. So the quip, the the, the bit failed? Is, well, I'm not yeah, sure what the oh, story is. Oh, yeah, okay. it failed hard. You uh-huh. know how, like, grandfathers and fathers are known for bad jokes? And, like, this was, like, the, I feel like 
all men did in the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s was like go to work and, and do nothing but think of like shitty jokes to tell their family when they got home. And like oh, all well, their they mind, also their drank mind... And they drank and philandered. Oh, I'm just saying that's a part of like it was all in the service of coming home and just like having no way to talk to your like they wouldn't know how to talk to their wives because they were just sort of like trained to fall in love. So they would just like have kids and have a wife, but then just like spend all day getting drunk and fucking you, other people. You're just describing Mad Men at this point, and everyone's seen Mad Men because Don would come home and, and say amazing like clever shit to, to Betty like you stupid bitch, go to bed. Right, yeah. And it's it's like my my grandfather, he wasn't quite at that level, but he would just like say jokes by accident. It was so ingrained in his mind that he didn't really understand how to communicate with people. You're hysterical woman, go to bed. He would just say, oh, do you want the aspic? And then just realize that he just offered his boss a device with which to get shit out of his asshole. And he wasn't fired, I don't think. But that story, I, I didn't, th- there's no consequences to the story. Hold on, can I, in, in defense of your grandfather, that's yeah. a pretty good bit. I think that that's, that's not, a, it's not bad. I do it's think it's, it's gross that they were about to eat aspic because that, that is uh, a little beyond me culturally. Do you ever think about how when aspects were developed back in, you know, I don't know, let, let's say, I don't know, medieval times, who's to say, um, if you wanted an aspic, you had to like get someone, you had to commission someone to draw a picture of a butt. Because like, well, I'm sure crude drawings were available. To, I mean, how hard was it to get porn back in those days? Oh, you're talking aspic, like A-S-S space P-I-C. Yeah, nowadays, when I'm trying to like send my honey a little treat, I'll just pop down my drawers. But back in those days... You had to get like a, you know, most people, the serfs, they're not literate. They can't, they couldn't draw an ass if they had a gun to their head, which would be weird because it was before gun. They didn't, yeah. So I'm just saying, I'm I'm thinking about, you know, we take for granted now that if I just say, hey, Siri, uh, you know, aspic, it, you know, it takes seconds. Uh, But back, back when aspics were in vogue, the ass pick was actually quite rare. So I'm just saying, I'm just trying to promote a conversation that makes people think because the museum movies and what happens at night is from different times. And then it's all in one time together. And what I'm asking is maybe what we think is normal now in this time wasn't normal in the other one. Does that make, is it clear to you? No, but that's all right. So ass um, pick was hard to get is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. I want to read you something from the Night at the Museum colon Secret of the Tomb Wikipedia page. Okay, please. This is from the cast list, so everyone can get to that page, scroll to the cast list, and find uh, Mizua Peck as uh, Sacagawea, comma. This is explaining who the character is. The polyurethane model of the Lemmy Shoshone woman who is Theodore Roosevelt's girlfriend. Theodore Roosevelt's girlfriend. She, I would say deserves to be series MVP for how much just disgusting, awful, levy shit has thrown onto this one character. Oh, like how she's relegated to uh, organizational assistant woman that uh, Larry yells at the beginning of three, much like in every West Wing or every Aaron Sorkin production. He's like, who should be the woman who is condescended to by the dumb asshole guy? Like uh, fucking poor Kate Blanchett or whatever her name is in, uh, in Steve Jobs playing the polish lady yeah it sucks and it's like that this is where we're at is that she's like 10th 15th build and her main credit is that she is not wax but polyurethane and oh boy they still can fuck that joke was in there that fucking 
Teddy's wax dick gets wet by a polyurethane uh, Sacagawea. Jesus Christ. But like her whole thing is like she is the girlfriend. Do you think he comes melted wax, which kind of looks like, you know, semen? I, he probably comes like solid wax. Just just, just, just like a little <laughs> dowel emerges. like <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not, not fast at all. Just like... Okay, so let me let me counter with a selection from the Ender's Game Wikipedia. In the future, <laughs> humanity is preparing to launch an attack on the homeworld of an alien race called the Formix that attacked Earth and killed millions. The Formic invasion was stopped by Mazer Rackham, who crashed his fighter plane into the Formic Queen ship at the apparent cost of his life. What do you what do you what do you do? What do you you think this is good? You think this is a good use of of the podcast and of our time? Reading. Over the course of fifty years, gifted children are trained by the international fleet to become commanders of a new fleet for this counterattack. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Imagine in the future uh, when they let me let's prophesize and look forward. The year twenty thirty. Okay. Skylar Gizmondo. Yeah. Returns as as Nikki Day. Daily. 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 Excuse me. Larry Daly. Nikki Daly. Now. There's all kinds of new people in the museum, oh. like friggin' Obama <laughs> and Trump, but also uh, Jimi Hendrix <laughs> yes. and fucking Janis Joplin, and maybe they're like there's like a jam sesh, or or wow. like uh, or maybe Trump uh, uh, is like, ooh, I'm awake at night. I want McDonald's cheeseburger. Yes, I am so orange. Yeah. Oh my god. Just think about the potential oh. for a Skylar Gizmondo. See- this a whole is new why... trilogy. I want a new trilogy with Skyler. Well, Josh, we're going to get it. If Disney's taken over the franchise, we're going to come back to the museum one more night. One more night at the museum. That's right. J.J. Abrams is going to produce Rise of the Dailies. And it's going to be about how, uh, friggin', it turns out, Nicholas was Larry's son the whole time. I have a few things I actually want to bring up about this and maybe get your reaction okay to right, before we close out the series because there i think we've talked of, about some shitty things that happened but i do think this is the best of the the series and i like these three things and i want your opinions on them i like that dick van dyke is back he's basically like if i'm if i'm allowed to talk about star wars he's basically like the death star returning and you're like ah we're back dick uh, van dyke. If, if the death star could move like that baby I'd miss Ooh. it a lot more. I love that they, they write in Dick Van Dyke does a little dancing bit because maybe he's he's unkillable and can dance forever. And he's just still alive. Uh, I I've finally, after a week, decided to apologize to Dick Van Dyke. Oh, you've you've uh, looking back, you've realized that uh, yeah, this was bad. I think it's time. I think it's time. Sorry, I'm sorry, Dick. Uh, you're still kicking, you're still dancing. I like that 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 guard in the first museum was like that fucking desirable as fuck security guard the most sexy piece of shit we've ever had working here yeah that guy well he's he's living at that that home yeah the, the scurrying ball sack i like that the Mickey reference Rooney. lady was like he a piece he a fine ass piece it was it great moved, he moved like you wouldn't believe Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. carve me off a slice of that dick van dyke i like that we get the the dick back um i really like that they changed the fucking joey motorola picture from the second one sucked but the mc escher picture from this one ruled like that was a cool set piece where uh the night i i I will repeat what i said on the internet 
the MC Escher painting bit is better than anything in Inception. <laughs> this it's movie great. is much better than Inception. <laughs> so if you didn't waste your time watching Night at the Museum 3, um, there's Lancelot, who actually is a great villain. I really liked him. If we have a few minutes, I'd like to talk to him. He's played by one of my favorite big like. You'd like cameo. to talk to Dan Stevens? Yeah, I got him on the line. Oh, bring him on. Hello, 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 it's me, Dan Stevens. It is. I played Lancelot uh, in the movie. Remember when we watched that episode of High Maintenance about the the guy that likes to wear dresses and get high and yeah, the great Dan Stevens. He fucking rules. I love that. He's he's great character. Um, but they all get trapped in the stairway painting or drawing or whatever by MC Escher, and it's it is better than Inception. It's like first of all, it turns into like Escher vision where they all look like they've been drawn is fun but like the use they i feel like they actually spent days like actually figuring out well if this falls here then that would go there and then they actually like really looked at this thing that you're not supposed to really focus on the reality of it and made it real and that is what the magic of history is all about well it's also the, the thing is that the problem with these movies in the first two installments was the sheer number of questions raised and almost every turn was staggering. And in this, they do a much better job of presenting neat, simple ideas that are not confusing or terrifying in the case of Jody Motoro- Joey Motorola, where it's like in the MC Escher painting, we immediately get the bit. It's got a very tight confines and it's very satisfying as opposed to every single picture is a pocket universe that has ramifications in the real world, which is completely fucking just a, a nightmare. It's the worst part of two, I think, conceptually speaking. Yeah. So the fact that they could go ugh. back to that premise, which again is a fun premise, and give us a very compact little bit that just works, that's a lot of fun, loved it. Yeah. Also, Ben Kingsley plays Maori in Ender's Game. Wow. I'm I'm making you mad now. Yeah, I know. This is you are turning the tables. All right, I'm I get see, it. You're, you're getting I'm, a taste I've learned, of my experience. Though. Yeah, I'm, I'm learned. I'm not going to do yeah. this anymore because it fucking sucks. We're um, getting towards the end of the series. Any more hot topics in the lightning round? Hugh Jackman. Yes. Hugh um, fucking Jackman. Hugh Jackman is a delight. Hugh Jackman is my favorite. Hugh Jackman makes everything a little bit better. He's the kind of guy that when you're younger, you're like, oh, the, you know, he's just, you know, he just seems so anodyne because he's just like such a movie guy. But as you yeah. get older, it's like, no, he's delightful. He is Ugh. a performer's performer. The fact that he shows up just to make fun of himself in this for no particular reason in a five minute bit that absolutely is the funniest part of the movie, uh, he rules. He, I, I like that. The, the the elasticity of this world is as such that that whole sequence plays out where he's like, let me explain. We're in a play. I'm Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Like, that shit's great. Oh, like, it was good. He makes everything better. Life is better with Hugh Jackman. He's the show the show kid. What's this musical called? The show. The sh- he's the greatest showman. The yeah, wonder yeah, yeah. kid. And you know what? That might have been a documentary. I never saw it, but I would believe it because he is the greatest showman. He is. Hugh he- Mazeltov. And so I like Lancelot. Lancelot is the villain in this one. And unlike the fucking dumb Hank shit where it's like, oh, we have assembled the greatest tool of badasses ever to live. And like the joke is that they're not that interesting. And the whole ending of the the fucking Jesus Christ. I We didn't even talk about it. But the whole way that the last one ended was the legion of bird headed minions from hell get kicked once by giant Abraham Lincoln and they all run away. And like that's how they decided to end the bad story. And here... It's a fucking story about growth. We have Lancelot who's confused. He's born. They actually address like he doesn't really understand what's going on because he's one day old, which we never really got from the second one. He thinks he's a knight. He thinks he's trying to do good. 
And he realizes by the end of the movie what good is. And he changes who he is to help not just himself, but the whole museum. He helps Larry understand stuff. Like, he is actually a pivotal part of Larry's story of growth about giving up this childish fantasy of bullshit to actually go do something real in the world. And to bring this to the, the closing of the show is... Larry's story is ended here. And that's why I'm asked I'm not I am asking when will it end? Because we finally got to this place which didn't seem real in the first one. We needed the second one for him to like pretend that he actually had caring about these people, and then we see his goodbyes. He says goodbye to everything. And the the last little shot of him like standing outside knowing that there's something happening, but he's done. He's moved on and he's he's given up and it's really great. I think this move this series did end well. It had a nice high ending. Yeah, I mean, if you told me that uh, I'd, I'd have like a bit real human emotions about him saying goodbye to these nebulously sketched out characters from throughout history, I wouldn't have believed you. But they really yeah. they, they they land the ship somehow. So again, I can't stress enough: the pinnacle of the series is making a middling watchable comedy. Uh, but they got there, so yeah. When will it end? Same thing. Um, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and maybe, to no one's surprise, give. Uh, MVP to uh, to Nikki. I think having a real character with real dimensions beyond, Daddy, why are you night god, man? And then go down the sub-basement to staircase B. Like, to, to, to bring him into focus and give him a bit. And I thought the DJing shit was yeah, fun. I thought the, was the opening party thing. You know, he's, he's not like, if he was like, I'm a shitty dork like my loser dad. He's not. He's getting fucking numbers, bro. He's pulling numbers. Yeah. Yeah, and they modernized it too. And actually, in we've done this before, but I'm going to give my MVP to Lancelot, which is basically the like, they pair up. There's lots of pairs in this movie. And there's, for, I don't, it's not really explained, but Lancelot really like wants to take Nikki under his wing. And I like that whole, like, Nikki's like, uh, I'll just play along, but it's very obvious that he doesn't really need it. But he, I don't know, there, there's, a, there's a playfulness to their characters relating. But yeah, as I said, Lancelot really is like, they needed a villain that worked and he really works and he turns into a non-villain at the end and that worked too it wasn't just like a oh we suddenly need a shift like you really see his growth and it's weird to be talking about it in night the museum colon secret of the tomb but he's fucking ruled i give my mvp to lancelot well the thing is with with any character in this case the great larry daly you need to have a really good little buddy and villain to articulate that character. And in one, the villain is sort of very vague. He's sort of getting, trying to understand what's going on and he's got to deal with his own issues internally. His son is a baby man. In two, it's just a bad villain and baby man's son, barely helpful. And in three, it really comes together. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I, I think this is easy to rank. Three, one, two, right? Is there's little debate yeah, here? The, nothing, nothing to say about that. Three, one, two yeah. is uh, clear as day. Um, they've really learned. And I think what was really good about this one was that there is not near. We found history is full of awful shit. It's not and good. The first two don't look back. Seemed to forget that most of the people they're choosing to like say, "Oh, look how fun history is." Were genocidal maniacs and people that just generally sucked or just completely changing stories for Amelia Earhart and all this shit just like make it work here we have ancient Egypt ancient England like it's all this shit that's so it's basically fable at this point we don't need to really worry about history anymore and uh, yeah I didn't even really have to think too much about how shitty the world's been and that was a nice little bonus too I think I want to give my series MVP to Mr. Steve Coogan 
Mm, yeah, the Cougs. He really, uh, he's great in this in the third movie. We, we he didn't is. quite give him enough time, but he was fantastic in this. And, that, and it was it a little gay panicky. Maybe, but I yes. like the subplot of Octavius having, you know, other desires that he can't maybe explore and express as thoroughly. And the commenting on the cat video bit, well, so, uh, low-hanging yes. fruit was well done. Genius, and they use it later in the movie. It's a nice little callback. But I do love that if if I ever see an Octo Daddy on YouTube, I know my sweet Steve Coogan is behind the keyboard there. We wow. love the Cougs. I'll, I'll sign off on that. I'm going to go ahead and say yes. The Cougs is, is a delightful... You got to give a little bit, a a sprinkle of the Cougs, and it goes a long way. So, Charles, what is our next series? You're always on top of this shit. What are we we doing next? So, longtime listeners might not believe me when I say this, because we pulled your legs for so long, for months, for series at a time. We kept saying, all right, guys, this will be next. Hey, motherfuckers, we're going to go to the party. Hey, it's time for Die Hard. But you know what? After a long 2020, the most brutal series of four numbers we've ever encountered. It's Christmas time. Josh loves Christmas. And let me, like let, me, Christmas. Look, let me just, uh, uh, my, my favorite Christmas movie, it's freaking Die Hard. Think about it, okay? Uh, yes, we're doing Die Hard finally, and I know this is from Total Recall, but see you at the party, listener. The party, in this case, being the Christmas party at Nakatomi Plaza, when friggin' Hans Gruber shows up with this bunch of friggin' guys and they try to steal the thing. And Charles has a lot of hot takes about this movie, and uh, we're gonna watch the whole thing. And I saw Die Hard with a Vengeance uh, with my dad and fond Fifteen memories. years ago, yeah. No, yeah, sorry, I, Live Free or Die Hard. My bad. Was, me and my oh, dad no, saw Live Free or Die Hard. I saw Die Hard with a Vengeance with my dad on my. The, I've realized I've talked about my seventeen-inch television set a lot on this show, but it was how I engaged with cinema from the ages of like eight to 19. So it was and, a big uh, part of my life. I engaged in sexual congress with my 17 inch penis for that period of time as well. <laughs> Charles, it's the, it's the end of the episode. Um, I would like to go now and I have to go now. So I know. This is so perfect. Uh, we're going to end this. Like we end all episodes. I'm going to read a list of films featuring space stations and Wikipedia project. I'll, Moonbase, just, I'll just fade conquest it out. Of space, yeah. So we need outer the... space assignment colon outer space. Mutiny in Outer Space, War of the Planets, 2001, A Space Odyssey, The Green Slime, Marooned, Earth 2, Solaris, Star Wars Episode 4, A New Hope, Moonraker, Star Trek The Motion Picture, Android.